Today's episode of The Mailroom is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NFL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score some last minute tickets. Live from Studio Nowhere. This is the Athletics Mailroom Podcast. Now here's your host, Amy Parlapiano. Hi everyone. This is the Mailroom Podcast. I am Amy Parlapiano and this is the podcast where we take our subscribers' questions and ask them to a different guest every week. And this week we have our draft guru analyst Dane Brugler here to talk to us because I think there are quite a few teams, fans of teams in the NFL who are already thinking about the draft. Many people in Miami have been thinking about it since the summer. Um, Dane, welcome. Thanks, Amy. Glad to be on. All right. So I want to start kind of just to give people an idea of your role and kind of what it takes to to have as much knowledge about the draft and the prospects as you do. So how much film would you say that you're watching per week, Dean? You know, honestly, it's tough to put a, a number on it. It's I'm either doing one of three things. I'm watching tape, I'm on the phone or I'm writing. And that, that really sums up my job, um, it, you know, except between... 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. I made a deal with my family. Those three hours are family time. Uh, but the rest of the time, it's, it's work. Um, and sometimes I'm on the road. Um, sometimes I'm just in front of my computer, um, watching tape, studying players. But really, I spend almost as much time on the phone uh, yeah. as I do watching tape or watching the game just because, uh, you know, it's whether it's with scouts or coaches, uh, players, others in the industry. Because so much of what I do is about information. Um, learning about the background of these players, their character, their makeup, uh, just gathering all that info, um, everything that will be in the draft guide. Uh, it's something that is a, you know, it takes takes a lot of time to to gather all of that and, you know, kind of peek behind the scenes to, you know, just more than, I mean, the tape is what matters. That That is the, the backbone of any scouting report, any evaluation you do on a player. But obviously, there's so much more that goes into it. These are human beings we're talking about. And, yeah. you know, there's these little things that that matter. Um, so it, it takes a, a long time to gather all that info. Yes, you mentioned the draft guide, which for um, those of you listening who are not aware of what we're talking about, it's called, we call it the Beast. It is uh, Dane's extremely comprehensive draft guide um, where he looks at all the prospects, gives um, scouting reports for each. So last year, Dane, we published that um, before the draft. So when do you start working on the 2021? Like, was it basically immediately after the 2019 one publishes or how long is that taking you to put together? Yeah, it's a year-round process, no question. Anybody that's, um, you know, read it, uh, they understand the amount of uh, comprehensive work that goes into it. Um, You know, no details too small. Uh, Mm -hmm. I try to cover all the bases and, you know, I'm not going to be 100% right with every single, you know, ranking and all that. But the what I pride myself on is... All the information and knowing, so fans kind of know about each one of these players and 
you know, if I rank a player as a first rounder and he goes in the early second, you know, like it's, I might not be right about every single guy, but it, when you read his report, I think you'll understand uh, everything you need to know about him. And that, that's really my focus is if you never saw this player take a single snap, uh, if after you read my report, you have an understanding, you can picture him in your head about, uh, you know, how he plays, uh, you know, the strengths, weaknesses, uh, where he came from, um, you know, the journey that it took for him to go from where he first picked up a football till now uh, helps give you that idea of the type of player that he is and where he can be. Uh, that's the whole goal. And so, yeah, it's a year round process, um, actively working on it and hopefully have it done here, you know, the first uh, first week or two in, in April. And uh, I know a lot of people looking forward to it. So that that's what, that's what motivates me every day to you know put a lot of uh, work into it. Yeah, it's been really cool to be able to even just for me too to be able to like kind of pull it up and then go back and look at what you had said, you know, last year for players that have maybe we didn't expect to be uh, playing as often as they are now. Obviously, we're going to talk about uh, a couple quarterbacks like that a little bit later. Um, But yeah, it's an incredibly helpful tool and I'm really excited for the 2021 in uh, in April. I know that it's a it's a beast to put together and then, you know, it's but it's kind of fun for me to edit. It was pretty fun last year. I just learned all of this stuff about pretty much every prospect so um, yeah i'm not sure you knew what you're getting yourself into when uh <laughs> it, it, we uh started sending over positions and pages and uh i i could have only imagined uh your reaction when you opened that and started reading it and i was like oh gosh what did i get myself into yeah but then draft night came and i was like i know who all of these people are <laughs> that's true every single that's true. one um yep. all right so we're gonna get into some of our subscribers questions now so we were talking uh before we get into any of these, actually, I have one about some breaking news that we were discussing uh, with our producer, Kent, before we started recording this. Um, last night, it broke that the Rams have acquired Jalen Ramsey from the Jaguars and they have traded two first rounders uh, and a fourth rounder. Uh, Dean, just what are your thoughts on that trade? What the, the exchange, the picks that they're giving up for it? How do you think uh, how do you think both teams uh, did in this trade? Well, just from a draft perspective, it's kind of fascinating that the Rams will not have a first-round pick for five straight years. Yeah, uh, They drafted Jared Goff in the first round 2016, and then 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. They will not have a first-round pick, barring a, a trade-up uh, these, these next two years. And so, you know, it's sometimes we can overvalue draft picks and hoard them, and it doesn't always work out if you don't get the evaluation right. So... It's not saying that this is the wrong strategy, but it is a bold strategy. And, yeah. Uh, you know, Jalen Ramsey is certainly, uh, I mean, arguably the best cornerback in the league. And he plays a position that's top three in value uh, on your roster. So, you know, I think all those things make sense. And, you know, Marcus Peters, uh, he was part of a trade earlier yesterday uh, going to yeah. the Ravens. There's a reason he's you know, Marcus Peters is a good player, but there's a reason he's on his what third team uh, since he's been in the league. Um, you know, he's just he, he wears tends to wear out his welcome. And he's just not for everybody. Um, and Jalen Ramsey, you know, he, he he could be a little bit of that as well. Um, but uh, you know, the talent is just so great. And so the next thing the Rams have to worry about is signing him to a long term deal. Uh, you don't trade two first round picks unless you plan on doing that. Uh, so, uh, you know, they, they need to do that. It's going to be interesting how, uh, you know, all the, the money that they've given out, the, you know, top running back contract with Todd Gurley, um, Aaron Donald, the top uh, interior defensive line, uh, one of the top defensive contracts. Uh, I think Aaron Donald's worth it. Um, Jared Goff, all the money they uh, put towards him. So 
the Rams are really trying to win in this window right now. And like I said, it's bold uh, a strategy. And especially when they're three and three right now and in a division with, you look at the 49ers and the Seahawks, uh, I think they have what one loss combined. So it's a, it's a tough division right now in the NFC West. And the Rams, uh, they see their window and they're going for it. So uh, not saying it's a wrong strategy, but definitely a bold one. Yeah, I was reading. Uh, we're going to have a piece from Mike Sando up a little bit later today where you talk to execs about it. And uh, one of the kind of concerns about it from execs was the cornerback isn't really their biggest problem or the, the secondary mm. isn't their biggest problem. And so uh, they're kind of giving up a lot of future depth for uh, a player that doesn't necessarily solve um, some of the biggest issues that they have. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, no, and that please. makes sense. And that's something, you know, we go back to, uh, you know, when Atlanta gave up that haul to go up and get Julio Jones. You know, they yeah. Atlanta saw Julio Jones as that one piece that was missing. And, you know, it really hasn't worked out that way. And they gave up a lot of draft picks that could have been uh, important depth pieces for that team. And so, yeah, it's it's it is something that I don't think there is a right or wrong answer, but it is certainly something that uh, it could backfire on them easily. Uh, I think odds would say that, you know, it might, uh, but uh, it's something that if it pays off, then they're not going to miss those those draft picks. Yeah. Um, okay, so now we're going to move into our subscribers' questions. We have a, a few good ones to choose from here. So just going to go right into it. So from Riedel, and we were talking a little bit about this at the beginning in terms of the amount of uh, time you're spending talking to, to people and watching film and all of that. And so this is kind of related to that in terms of how um, scouts are evaluating talent. So Riedel says, Dear Dane, have you heard of any new approaches or techniques that college scouts are using to evaluate talent this season? Well, I don't think there's anything maybe specific, but the analytics and teams just using different metrics, relying on different things like that um, is becoming more prevalent in today's game. Um, You know, it's everything's done. uh, You know, I'm talking to one scout last week. He they have a computer program, uh, their their organization, and he has got everything on his iPad uh, and it's, it's, it's a cloud-based program. Um, so he can pull up, um, you know, all these stats for all these college players um, combined with his film. And it's just, it's amazing what uh, the difference, even, you know, five, 10 years ago, um, the difference in, you know, what t- teams are able to do with uh, the more they've embraced technology and some of the numbers Um Something else that I know I've I've talked to teams about is just the more they're using psychology um, as part of when they make these school calls and they talk to these players and you know you only have so much time with them uh, before you know especially when you go to uh, you know like an Ohio State I was talking to a guy the other day who's talking about how he hates going to Ohio State because he. Uh, he, you know, he thinks he knows everyone or, you know, has a good feel because obviously you do some, you do prep work and you have a good idea of who these guys are when you go in and then you, you, you go to practice and you realize there's five or six more draft eligible guys you need to watch because there's just the, the amount of players. And that's true at Alabama and Clemson and all these other schools. Uh, so, but it's just the psychology of when you sit down with these guys, certain questions, I mean, you can't waste time with bad questions. And so you need to get to the bottom of, uh, you know, who they are, uh, what's their background, what's their family uh, life like, what's their maturity level. Um, and, and then they need to document all of that. So when they get to the combine or the senior bowl or, uh, you know, wherever, if they have a, 
bring the guy in for a private visit um, to uh, sit down and maybe follow up on some of those questions or, you know, just make mental notes. And so, so much of the psychology and that's something that, you know, some teams are investing in uh, uh, psychologists coming in and doing a little bit of training with their scouts to uh, know and understand the best questions to ask. And so it's certainly something that is just like the game of football is evolving and continuing to grow. So is the world of scouting and personnel. It's something that is uh, really fascinating. That is interesting. And it reminds me of kind of, you know, every year at the combine, there's always the discussion around the interview process there. And kind of, you know, there's always mm-hmm. those the weirdest questions that people are asked and all of that. Like, what's your kind of impression of the the interviews at the combine, what those guys are being asked in terms of like how much of an impact the combine specifically interviews have on the actual process right and you know it's in the combine you know it's it's like speed dating because it's it's all quick you don't have a lot of time with these guys at least with you know the the informal interview part um and so you have to be really quick with your questions and sometimes teams will throw out a question that's just so bizarre that that just try to catch you off guard and they try to just try to get you to think really quickly on your feet and see, you know, how, how you do. And I, I've talked to some teams that will purposely ask a certain question uh, at a school call and say, you know, September, and maybe they'll go over five plays. And then in February, when they talk to the player, the scout or the GM will say, we had a scout, uh, you know, talk to you in September. Do you remember that second play that you guys reviewed and, you know, it was, uh, you know, this play and, you know, this happened and you know, just to see what his recall is like. And obviously for quarterbacks, uh, offensive linemen, certain positions, it's a little more important, but um, just to see what the players, uh, you know, see how sharp they are. And it's so it, it's something that is a year long thing. And it, it's it's almost a game that, you know, they, they try to get you and they try to just but it's all about trying to you know learn the psyche of these guys. Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, Okay, so we're going to move on to a question from Bryce D, who's thinking already about the draft in 2020. And he says, Dear Dane, just wondering who you think will have the first, second, and third overall pick going into the draft in 2020. And who do you think those three teams should pick and why? Well, it's hard at this point uh, to say the Dolphins uh, are not going to have the top pick. (laughs) And I mean, it's, you know, the... Tank for Tua has been a hashtag since, uh, you know, uh, May. Uh, and it's, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Um, you know, the Dolphins, they are certainly planning for the future as well they should, uh, especially at this point. And they are the clear favorites at this point to be the number one, to have that number one pick. And the question is, okay, which quarterback, assuming it's a quarterback, is going to be the apple of their eye. And I think uh, Alabama's Tua Tagovailoa is certainly the favorite at this point. Um, you know, it's it's mid-August or mid-October. So we, we have a long ways to go. But at this point, I would say that he is the favorite. Um, at, at number two, I heard not to say the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, they're a prime contender to be picking in the top three, top five this year. Uh, and they'll have a really interesting situation with Andy Dalton still under contract for next year. But it's a very team-friendly deal. Uh, they can easily move on uh, if they wanted to. Um, Tua goes one. The Bengals are still going to have plenty of quarterback options at two. Uh, LSU's Joe Burrow. Oregon's Justin Herbert. 
Um, you know, obviously they uh, have a first year head coach. And so, you know, it's we don't really know maybe the type of quarterback he might prefer. Um, something Jordan's uh, or Utah State's Jordan Love will be a top 10 pick. He could be in that mix. Uh, Burrow is really the interesting prospect here because, uh, you know, he's a guy that's made tremendous strides from his junior season last year, uh, his first at LSU. Uh, now as a senior, he's really blossoming at the right time, playing his best football. Uh, he is going to be, a, a, as long as he continues at this current trajectory, he will be in play uh, for a top pick. Uh, and it also, you know, not to read too much into it, but he played his high school football in Southern Ohio, uh, not too far from Cincinnati. So uh, could be a good fit there. And then at number three, probably looking at the Redskins. Uh, obviously, they already moved on from their head coach. Uh, this could be where we see the first non quarterback drafted. Um, you know, they could go best player in the draft, which. Uh, in my opinion, is Ohio State's pass rusher, Chase Young. Uh, he's the best player in the draft at, since May, as soon as uh, last year's draft ended. Uh, they could be in the market for offensive tackle help. We don't know what's going to happen with the Trent Williams situation. Uh, Georgia's Andrew Thomas, Iowa's Tristan Wirfs. Uh, both those guys would be in play there. So that kind of leads into, when we're talking about the Redskins, another question that Judah S. had, which was, Dear Dane, can you see a one-and-done situation with Haskins, uh, Dwayne Haskins, similar to, to how Josh Rosen was treated in Arizona? So obviously referring to the fact that they picked him uh, in the first round last year, and he hasn't, you know, he just looked not ready so far this year. I don't think they were expecting to have to play him so early. Uh, do you see a situation where they could potentially move on and draft a top quarterback if they have one of those top picks? It's certainly a fair question, and mm-hmm. it's the Redskins, so you can't rule anything out. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know what? I, I, it sounds like Haskins was an owner slash general manager pick, um, and so it would seem that the Redskins are going to hire a coach who is interested in coaching their first round quarterback. Uh, where the Cardinals were a little more open minded, um, and with their head coaching hire, and were open minded to uh, you know the the quarterback he wanted, so. I, I I would say that, you know, you never say never, but I think the Redskins are going to hire a, a head coach that wants to or wants to work with their first round quarterback. Uh, they're a very stubborn organization, and I, I would be surprised if they moved on from Haskins this early. Uh, hopefully we can see him on the field uh, at some point here over the second half of the NFL season to actually evaluate his development. Um, you know, he was only a one year starter at Ohio State should really be a redshirt junior in college right now. So he's still very young. And with the right coach, I really believe, uh, you know, we could see a Jared Goff situation. You know, people were calling him a bust as a rookie before he impressed in year two, uh, you know, with McVay. So with the right coach in place and the right support system, and it takes a little bit of maturing from Haskins, no question. Um, you know, I think he's he's a sharp guy, but in terms of uh, his just his maturation and doing what he needs to do to be the best quarterback he can be. Uh, he needs to take some strides in that development or in that area as well uh, to further his development. Yeah, it was just kind of clear from the one game when they did put him in that he just wasn't really ready and yeah. they obviously hadn't really prepared him. So, uh, you know, I also I, I can't imagine that they would give up this early on it, but you never know. As you said, it's the Redskins, so <laughs> expect anything. Right. Um, I wanted to touch base with you on just we talked about Haskins. I want to kind of get your midseason thoughts on a lot of those the, the first year quarterbacks that you spent a lot of time talking about last year leading up to the draft, how you think uh, the starters are doing. And then obviously we need to touch on someone who we didn't necessarily expect to be starting right now. And that's uh, Gardner Minshew. And he looks 
pretty good in terms of I think expectations weren't that high. And so he's he's performed well. So what are your thoughts on on the first year quarterbacks and how they're progressing? And then um, someone like Gardner Minshew, who kind of came out of the people surprised a lot of people in terms of how he's been playing. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody expected this from Minshew uh, this early. I mean, I certainly didn't. Um, But I I like Minshew coming out and, you know, reading, rereading his report, um, you know, with what we know now. um, You know, I I said it it was it's easy to be skeptical about uh, what he did or, you know, his projection, because before he arrived at Washington State, he, you know, his production was very minimal. He really wasn't impressive. Uh, but he goes to Mike Leach's system and obviously blew up last year as a senior. So it's easy to be skeptical. But when you break down his game, it's just it's hard not to be impressed, uh, even at the college level, with his ability to get the ball out, his ability to quickly scan the field pre and post snap, make the right decision. Um, and he's got a little Baker Mayfield to him. Um, and I mean that uh, strictly as a positive with uh you know, first of all, his size. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the the best athlete. He's a, he's a, he's a decent athlete. Um, but his his confidence, he believes in himself, and that doesn't waver. And that could be the biggest difference between uh, you know being productive and being successful, uh, be, especially at a quarter uh, position like quarterback. He is immensely uh, confident, and it shows. Um, it, it makes it even. I mean, he's been great regardless of where he's drafted. But it makes it even better that he's a six-round pick. Um, and I tweeted this yesterday, and I thought it was fascinating. Minshew is averaging an explosive passing play, which is a passing play over 20 yards. So he's averaging an explosive pass play every 9.2 pass attempts. Uh, to put that into context, that leads all rookies, and it's better than Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan. Both those guys are averaging a explosive pass play every 9.9 pass attempts. Um, Jared, better than Jared Goff. Uh, so I, it's really impressive what he's doing. Um, now, you know, some of that is run after the catch. And I think a lot of credit uh, needs to go to John DeFilippo, play caller in Jacksonville, what he's doing uh, to put Minshew in position to uh, be successful. But, uh, you know, credit to the quarterback for the way he's producing. Um, the Jaguars, you know, they're two and four. So, you know, is he really the, the quarterback of the future for that franchise? I'm, you know, I don't know, but I think it's way too early to say. But I think that it's uh, it's really interesting that what he's done up to this point that he's even made it a conversation that needs to be had uh, towards the end of the year about what they're going to do uh, at the quarterback position. So definitely something to watch moving forward. Yeah, I've talked about this a little bit before with some people about the Jags. I think the biggest thing that he's doing for them right now, whether or not he's a long-term solution, is he's just kind of making them relevant because people want to watch because mm-hmm. people think he's fun to watch. So that is definitely something that they have not really been even when they even a couple of years ago when they were good. I think everyone just immediately forgot that they were good and because they went back to kind of right. being relevant again. So he adds a little bit of a spark there, which has been fun to watch. Uh, in terms of another first-year quarterback that, and I've, I've talked about this also in terms of. Daniel Jones being kind of a pretty universally panned pick in terms of when they selected him. A lot of people thought they could have waited and gotten him uh, later on in the draft. Impressions so far of, of Jones, if you obviously, again, early, we don't really know for sure what to take from his first couple appearances in terms of whether that's going to be lasting success. But what, what have you kind of thought about uh, his performance so far based on kind of what you thought he was uh, going to be able to provide for them? Well, he was so good in that debut, uh, you know, uh, over a month or almost a month ago now uh, against Tampa uh, on the road, uh, you know, leading the Giants to a 
to a comeback victory. Um, he was so good in that game. Now, since then, uh, you know, he's come back to earth a little bit. Um, you know, he has more interceptions and touchdowns on the year. Um, you know, his completion percentage has, I think, dipped almost every week. Uh, I think it was under 50% this, this past Sunday uh, or on Thursday night against the Patriots. And, and, you know, it's fair to point out, no Saquon Barkley. Um, he's playing behind a, a questionable offensive line throwing to, you know, average at best, uh, you know, wide receivers and pass catchers, especially with, you know, Evan Ingram out. So, you know, that that matters, that, that all that context is important. Um, and I, I think this is, you expect this with a, a rookie. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter, first pick, sixth pick, whatever, there's going to be ebbs and flows it, it, with, a, with a rookie quarterback. Uh, defensive coordinators are going to be able to key in on, uh, you know, what he, a rookie quarterback can do. Uh, you know, coaches only put so much on, on his plate. Um, Daniel Jones is a little different because he's, he's such a bright mind. He's so smart. Um, but you know, he, he's showing that he needs time as well to, to develop and, and get better. So, uh, you know, the Giants it, really, I mean, the entire team, that story of the Giants this season has been their youth movement. It starts with Daniel Jones. Uh, but even beyond that, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, what they're doing, uh, with, uh, you know, their, their other first round picks, uh, Dexter Lawrence, uh, with, uh, uh, DeAndre Baker at corner, um, yeah, Connolly, a linebacker who's out for the year with the ACL. Uh, but you know, they, they're getting a lot of production from their, from their rookies. And, you know, it's, it's been really interesting to watch, um, the pass rusher, uh, from old dominion, Oshane Ximenez, who a third round pick, you know, he's been, uh, kind of a rotational pass rusher, but when he's been on the field, he's made a difference. Uh, and I've been a big fan of Darius Slayton as well. Their fifth round wide receiver. Uh, he's a tremendous deep threat. And uh, I think he's shown flashes of what he can do. So it's a youth movement uh, in New York. And, you know, I think uh, it starts with Daniel Jones. And I think if you're a Giants fan, uh, you, you you feel optim- optimistic about the future with that quarterback. And so uh, we talked before about Gardner Minshew, obviously AFC South guy. This leads me to uh, something, another question in here because it's related to Marcus Mariota, who uh, today I think it was announced that they're they're going to go with Ryan Tannehill as a starter in Tennessee. They're going to move on, it seems, from um, Marcus Mariota, which always kind of when we talk about Mariota, we always kind of end up talking about Jameis Winston. There is a question in here from John Y, who asks about the Bucks now and says, should the Bucks continue, or dear Dane, should the Bucks continue to build around Jameis or should they blow it up and start over? Do you think that we could see them um, looking for a quarterback in this draft as well? Well, the fact that we're talking about this or you know we're still asking this question it tells you it's time to move on um like i I was a Jameis fan coming out of college because he was so natural of a passer he had a great feel for pushing the ball downfield but with that comes interceptions and he hasn't been able to improve that part of his game he already has double digit interceptions this year um you know it's something that has not been you know a lot of people thought okay maybe it'll be corrected with bruce arians now in the fold uh you know he literally has called himself the quarterback whisperer um but it just hasn't worked out uh so far um and you know how could you possibly sign this guy to any type of you know lucrative contract uh when he's shown what he's shown it's time if i feel like you know with the titans did with Mariota, with the bucks doing with Jameis, they kind of just wait and see mode and see maybe he'll turn it on it's time to move on. It's time to look at these quarterbacks in this draft, 
The, the Bucks are what two and four, so right now they're trending towards uh, a top ten pick. And you know, we kind of touched on it earlier, but this quarterback class has a lot of potential to uh, have multiple options in, in the top ten, from Tua to Joe Burrows to uh, Justin Herbert to Jordan Love, uh, and that doesn't even uh, didn't even mention a guy like Jacob Eason or Jake Fromm. Um, you know, there's a lot of talent at the quarterback position, and you know, it's it, for the Tampa Bay Bucks with Bruce Arians. You know, you also, also have to factor in that Arians isn't a spring chicken anymore. Does he want to develop a rookie quarterback? Um, you know, that's something that goes into decision making process as well. But in terms of what's best for that organization and what's best for the team, I don't know how you, you could argue uh, that, it, that what's best for that organization is to stick with Jameis and, and sign him to a new contract. Yeah, I think he threw five picks in the game on Sunday. Um, yeah, it, I agree with you. Not it's, great. It's, yeah, not great. Uh, it does seem like they've been just kind of both teams, so the Titans on the Bucks have been like, this is going to be the year when it happens, and it right. just never has been. So They're just kicking the can. Yeah, it's, exactly. And it's time, to, it's time to stop and you know move on. And I don't know if it's – General managers being stubborn, general managers being just on the fence. But, you know, the the only thing worse than the wrong decision is indecision. And it's, it's just it, it's time to move on and see what they can do uh, with a different quarterback. Yeah, and it seems like this year, I mean, you know better than I would, but in terms of perception of the quarterback class, this year does seem like a really good year for, for QBs, better than last year. I don't think, uh, I feel like last year there were a couple of ones, obviously uh, the situation with Kyler, but, you know, this year there seems to be a lot available who are, you know, people are pretty excited about. So, well, uh, this seems it like is, the year. It's a diverse. It's a diverse group, uh, and, that, and that's what makes it. That's why I'm really excited for this quarterback class because there's not going to be a consensus number one quarterback. Uh, even though we talk more about Tua than any other quarterback, some teams will prefer Herbert. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some teams prefer Burrow. I wouldn't be surprised if some teams prefer Jordan Love. So it, it just depends on what type of quarterback you're looking for, what's your timeline in terms of when you want them to get on the field. Um, you know, whether you want to bank more on uh, production or upside. And so there's so many differing opinions on it. It reminds me more of the class we had two years ago when we had Baker and Darnold, Josh Allen and Rosen, Lamar Jackson. You know, we had so many different types of quarterback. Uh, and this this quarterback class is shaping up to be like we had two years ago. And that makes it fascinating. And that to me, that makes it fun. And so this leads us into we're gonna we're gonna do one more here, and we've been talking a lot about quarterbacks. Um, and I'd like to hear uh, some of your thoughts on some of the guys those quarterbacks could be throwing to. So uh, Jason K says, "Dear Dane, before the college football season began, there were some articles stating that the 2020 draft would be very strong at the wide receiver position. Do you believe this is still the case? And what does your top five list for the position look like currently?" Uh, absolutely. I think wide receiver is arguably uh, the deepest and the strongest position uh, for the upcoming draft class. And it so much depends on the underclassmen. So assuming that these underclassmen come out like we expect them to, uh, wide receiver will be up there, um, if not number one, in terms of the strongest positions. And just like how I mentioned for quarterbacks, how it was fascinating, just the diverse different types of uh, quarterbacks. Same could be said about the wide receivers. Uh, you know, you have Jerry Judy from Alabama, who uh, is so quick in everything that he does in his routes uh, after the catch. Um, C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma is a little different. Um, that's that's one and two for me right now. 
Uh, C.D. Lamb went off against Texas. He's been terrific all year. He's a very intelligent wide receiver, um, and he has a good mix of quickness, uh, power. Uh, for a guy that's 6'1", he moves more uh, like a smaller receiver. Uh, really fantastic ball skills as well. Um, I think both are top 15 picks. Um, and then LaVisca Chenault from Colorado is right there in that mix as well. Uh, durability is really the only thing you worry about with him. He is a rocked up, not as fast version of uh, Sammy Watkins. Uh, you know, included in that is the, the durability question. So that could be something that, uh, you know, it makes him fluctuate on draft boards about where he stacks up. But he's as talented as any wide receiver in this class. Uh, Henry Ruggs, uh, uh, Judy's teammate at Alabama, has uh, ridiculous speed. Uh, he's 5'11", 190, uh, but he is a threat to, t- to uh, take it to the house anytime he touches the ball, uh, and he can be a threat at any level. Uh, he is uh, off the charts in terms of not only his speed, but his character, uh, You know what he offers behind the scenes, how much he works. So I think Henry Ruggs is in that first-round discussion, the top-20 discussion. Uh, and then you have guys like T. Higgins from Clemson, uh, who's more in that A.J. Green mold, that tall, lean, uh, you know, can high point and isolate the football type of uh, type of wide receiver. You've got a guy like Jalen Rager from TCU, a fantastic athlete, uh, needs to be a better finisher. Uh, he's a little undersized at 5'10", 195, but he's, uh, you know, in that Brandon Cooks mold where he is uh, explosive, can do a lot of things down the field. Um, so, I mean, that's that's six wide receivers right there. And there are still plenty that I'd love to talk about. Uh, this, this wide receiver class is really a deep position. Uh, Gabriel Davis from UCF. I'm a fan of him. Sage Surratt from Wake Forest. Um, uh, there's a lot of, you know, there's more and more buzz uh, for some of these Michigan receivers. Uh, Peoples Jones, Nico Collins, uh, KJ Hamler from Penn State. He's only 5'8", but he's super explosive. Uh, might be this year's version of, say, McCole Hardman. Uh, and that's just the underclassmen. I haven't talked about the seniors yet. Um, it, there's plenty of seniors that are going to be in that top 100 discussion. Um, uh, you know, one of uh, John Hightower I mentioned from Boise State. I mentioned him in an article uh, this past week as uh, maybe a surprise uh, first rounder. You know, who's going to be that guy this year that surprises and moves up into the first round? I think John Hightower could be in that discussion because of speed. Uh, you know, he could be a Will Fuller type where, uh, you know, he's tall, lean, but when you have that type of speed where you can get behind the defense and be explosive, um, you know, teams are going to be interested in your services. So wide receiver uh, is a really, really deep group. And with all these underclassmen, assuming they declare uh, entering the mix, uh, it's going to be something we're talking about, uh, you know, four or five, six wide receivers in, in the first round. And then it's not we're not going to see a huge drop off uh, once we get a day two and into day three. And Max K, who is uh, seems to be a Packers fan, was saying that uh, the Packers desperately need receivers. And assuming they're picking between 20 to 32, uh, you just mentioned, obviously, a bunch of guys that could go in the first round. Hmm. Is there is there a late right. round, a late first round receiver that you see as potentially an ideal fit for the Packers right now? Um, you know, I think if any of those guys that I mentioned would fall to them, I, I think that would certainly uh, make sense uh, for the Packers because uh, I don't know. It, yes, I mean, they have Devontae Adams and, you know, they, they know they like Vanta uh, Scantling a lot. Um, but, you know, if they could add, say, a Henry Ruggs to that mix, that would be a lot of fun. That type of speed, um, you know, we know how much 
Aaron Rodgers likes to play off script and, uh, you know, get the ball into the hands of his receivers where they can make something happen. Henry Ruggs would be would be perfect for that. Um, I, I think, you know, T. Higgins might be more of what they already have uh, on the roster at wideout. But a guy like Ruggs, um, I don't think he's going to fall uh, maybe that far to where the Packers are picking. But I think he would be just uh, a, a great fit for that offense and what they'd like to do. And in terms of adding another explosive element uh, to that offense. All right, uh, Dean, this has been great. I feel like based on what you've been talking about, it sounds like there's a lot of potential for some explosive, uh, some really explosive offensive weapons uh, coming in uh, in 2020. And then obviously there's a lot more to talk about the draft. We're only at midseason now, but we're definitely going to need to have you back and do some more breakdowns. I'm sure uh, there's a, a lot of people who are going to want to know. And uh, already, I think all the Dolphins fans already <laughs> are thinking about the draft. <laughs> but soon, I think we're going to get a lot more teams that are thinking about it. And we'll have to have you back to uh, break it all down for us, Dean. So thank Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm Amy Piano. This is the Mailroom Podcast, and we will be back next week. Thanks again, Dane.